when God sends the Son and from them proceed the Holy Spirit. What happens in that natural sequence is the church. The Bible knows nothing of a Christian who is not a member in a local visible body. If someone is saved like the thief on the cross, apart from that, it's an extraordinary circumstance and exception, not the norm. You're listening to the Holy Joys Podcast, co-hosted by Jonathan Arnold and Dr. David Fry. Visit us at holyjoys.org and stay tuned for weekly discussions of theology and ministry practice, all for a holy, happy church. All right, we're going to talk about something today that we've touched on quite a bit in other podcasts and in a series on church discipline, restoration, excommunication that we have coming up here soon. Uh, and also a subject that we've touched on in various articles, including one that you just wrote for the Bible Methodist on the church's role in our salvation, and uh, then one that uh, I wrote and we're going to be working on together and co-publishing on the church's authority and responsibility for to forgive sins from John 2023. 20, and um, both of us, I think, share a concern for um, the way in which salvation, soteriology, has sometimes been separated from ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, in a way that it hasn't been historically. Um, so, what you know, what kind of drew your attention to this need, this concern um, in in the church today? Yeah, I think first of all, the uh, you know the whole doctrine of the church for me coming into the church as a pastor uh, twenty years ago, actually now um, two thousand one. Um, it was just not on my radar at all. I had no appreciation really for the church. It was for me, it was, you know, it's the place where you gather people to, um, you know, to teach them and send them out. And like, that was the extent of it. Like there's no, uh, you know, the extent of the accountability of a relationship and the responsibility to one another. I mean, that was just not really present in my thinking. So through obviously 20 years, um, my understanding of the church has really been, been urged forward because of a prevailing uh, lack of, of appreciation for what the church is in God's, in God's salvation. Um, and especially in reading the early church fathers, and their description of the church as as an ark, uh, much like Noah's ark. And I started realizing, you know what? The church today, for for most people, uh, at least in in um, you know our world, our our country, our Western civilization, it's it's really optional. It's not uh, it, it's not something that is really viewed as necessary, and it's nothing for a person to uh, make a choice of church based on personal comfort and amenities and what do I get out of it? And I begin to realize, wait a second, like God has, God has something for the church that's not incidental to my salvation. Mm-hmm. And we need to recover that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so from there, I started reading you know different authors and, and realized that there are uh, other traditions that have done a better job of holding on to the importance of the church. 
and I didn't jump ship to those traditions because they have other problems, sure. right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we can get into into the, some of those things as we go along in this conversation. But it really, really does come down to you know, wh- why the church. Why does it matter? Yeah. Yeah, I think of comments that I've heard that just kind of make my insides tense up. Uh, preachers who, in an attempt to emphasize the importance of, of personal salvation and of, a, of being born again and of knowing that your sins are, are forgiven, have um, overreacted, I think, against what they perceive to be people who are placing their assurance of salvation in in their church membership in the fact that they were maybe baptized as a child so see i think we've all encountered this right you have somebody who says oh, i was baptized as a kid or i'm a member of this church so i'm you know i'm saved it's kind of assume that that they're saved and i do think there are people like that um, but i but i've heard preachers say i don't really care at the end of the day i don't really care if you were baptized i don't really care if you're a member of a church what really matters you know is that you're you're born again, that you're, you're saved. Right. And boy, that is not at all. Um, that is not at all the way that scripture treats those things. And it's definitely not the way that the church, you know, has, has approached Mm -hmm. it. Whereas baptism, which is about like our covenant membership in the body of Christ, uh, but you're baptized by the church into the church. You're, you're, you see that in Acts two, that they repent and are baptized is not separated from, um, from salvation and different traditions throughout history have different ways of getting getting at that. You know, some have treated baptism kind of as the the ordinary place of your salvation. Some have treated it mm-hmm. as a necessary means of saving grace, right? Um, and and those importance are, are those differences are important. But what the church has always agreed about is that salvation, personal salvation, is not separated from participation in the covenant community through the sacraments. That's just never been a matter of of serious disagreement. Right. And I think that key key point there is that our salvation is within a covenant community. When we enter covenant, yes, a personal covenant with God, we are entering into a body, a a corporate covenant, a, a covenant that God has made with people, with a particular people that we uh, know as the church, that he calls the church. God calls the church. These are the called out ones, the ones who are called out first from Egypt, out from a, from a, a place that represents idolatry. And they're not only called out, but they are called to gather at the tabernacle. We're called to tabernacle where God's presence was manifest in, in the wilderness and then later in the temple. We as the church, all those symbols have meaning for us as the church uh, because you know, then Israel was called the Ecclesia. They were, it was called the church and we are uh, the church that, you know, the apostle Paul and even Jesus uh, uses the word, you know, three times in Matthew's gospel. Uh, and, and he is, they are uh, referring back to those images from uh, Israel's uh, history. And, and so we have to draw from that and say, okay, this is, God has formed a covenant people and circumcision at, you know, eight days, uh, eight days old, right? So this child has no, no decision. No, it doesn't matter what they want. They are, they are circumcised. Every male is circumcised as a symbol that they are part of the covenant people of God. And, 
Uh, it's just that's that was life. And today, a, a typical Christian family just views things so differently than that. Uh, there's we're certainly certainly uh, have very low view of uh, the salvation of children and their incorporation into the, into God's people. Um, many Protestants have a very low view of that. Some don't. Uh, I think that's something that we need to go back to our roots to. I think you wrote something about that recently, right? Coming up. <laughs> oh, it's coming yeah. up. Okay. Um, so, so there's there, that's part of, that's part of this discussion though, too, is mm. what about our children? Um, and so the, I, I begin this article. Let me get back to this article uh, in the Bible Methodist. Which, yeah, uh, while you're, while you're pulling plug. that up, let me just, yeah. just plug this in. I think, you know, at this point, so many people might just say, hey, so far I'm with you, right? Yeah, yeah, the church is the people who are saved. I'm part of the bride. But um, they're thinking very much, very much in spiritual and mystical terms. So, yeah, the important thing is that you're personally born again, not that you are received into the church through the visible baptism or through the, you know, through the visible formal membership, because what really makes you a member of the church is not those things, but it's the new birth. So what happens is you fall back onto an over-spiritualized view of the church. And we've had some of those conversations before, which I think are so important, that scripture holds together the visible and the invisible more tightly. Yes, there are some who are in the visible body who are tares, right? They're 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 weeds, and God's going to pull them up at the end. But ordinarily, there's no wheat that isn't in the visible body, the visible field. Ordinarily, outside of the visible church, as the Westminster Confession says, uh, which many of our Methodists would have affirmed, uh, most of the articles, including this one, uh, outside of the visible church, there's ordinarily no salvation. So I think we have to to be careful of, of drawing on a necessary distinction of systematic theology between the visible and the invisible church and making that our primary way of thinking about the the people of God, because that's not how scripture primarily thinks about. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to say, make two points. One is that our incorporation in the body of Christ, the church uh, has several points of significance, but there are two I want to point out here. One is, is that it gives us visible testimony of belonging to to Christ and to his people, to the covenant people. So that, that the idea of testimony, our witness, we are we are a witness of the body, uh, in the body of Christ, of Christ. The second concept is assurance. So the Holy Spirit bears witness, and that bearing of witness, which is personal, individual, but it is... It is also always corporate because the church is the witness of the spirit. And I, I may be, you know, equivocating there on the, in the uh, idea of witness. So there's, there is certainly individual witness of our, our mission to the world. Okay. That's one, I, what's one meaning of witness testimony. What I'm saying is the holy, the church is the, witness that the spirit has come and is present in the world. The spirit comes at Pentecost 
gives formation to what we know as the church. That's often viewed as the birthday of the church. Uh, there's variation on that, but in any case, there's certainly formation. And so I want, I think the statement is true that the church is the witness of the spirit. And so when it comes to individualization, uh, it seems to me that that personal witness of the spirit to my salvation personally uh, cannot be separated from his witness, which is the church. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, because we often treat the witness of the spirit as something so incredibly subjective, right? The spirit right. witnesses with our spirit. So it's like well, like, well, do I like get a warm, fuzzy feeling? Like, does that mean I have to pray through at the altar? Like until I feel or experience something, is that the witness of the spirit? Does that mean like, do I have to have the witness of the spirit right now? Like I've heard people say that you've got to have the witness of the spirit right now. Don't rely on something that happened back then, but they're not really defining what the witness of the spirit is. And so you're like, I don't know. I just had a really bad day. Like, am I still saved? (laughs) You know, but I think you're exactly right. So I think, I want to say that in like the context of that original statement in Romans, like Paul's talking is talking about something that's like inward desire for God, the upward longing for God, sure. crying out Father. But I think where what you're saying is so important is that then in John's epistle, he shows how this is worked out in the context of the church in very objective means. So, mm-hmm. you know, in the context of the community, how do you know that you're saved? How does the spirit assure you or witness to you? Well, you love one another. Right. So that love in scripture isn't something that you can you can have outside of a local community. Like if you're not going and being you're not a member in the church, how can you how can you do that? It's by, you know, you have your article, First John 2, 19. It's by belonging. It's by fully owning this community and buying mm-hmm. into it completely. So, you know, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If mm-hmm. they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, and you have in parentheses there, left the church. And again here, you're talking about the visible church, right? Right. So so that's a key verse. They left the visible church that it might become plain that they all are not of us. I mean, Mm -hmm. the Bible knows nothing of a Christian who is not a member in a local visible body. If someone is saved like the thief on the cross, apart from that, it's an extraordinary circumstance and exception, not the norm. Yeah, right, right. So extraordinary. So we always, as as believers of provenient grace and the initiation of God for our salvation, uh, God works ordinarily through uh, the ministries of a local church. That's his ordinary way of working. There are also, of course, extraordinary ways of working, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are are found even even within Scripture. Uh, you know, once once the church has has set out on this mission, there you, we still see. Uh, you know, we get glimpses of what the Holy the Holy Spirit's always ahead of us, right? Always going before us. Um, so I think um, if someone is is struggling to associate the witness of the Spirit so strongly with ecclesiology. Uh, and that, that wouldn't surprise me, first of all, uh, because I think it's a new concept to probably a lot of people. But I want to connect it to something that has been around for a while, uh, at least uh, in, in in my lifetime, kind of the reading that we would have uh, as, you know, like, say, ministerial students. 
and I'm wanting to say, is it Robert Shank? Um, it's Shank. But some of you who were in, you know, Bible college taking theology or uh, studying, you know, the doctrine of, of election. Uh, I think it's Robert Shank who wrote a couple of books, and one of them, uh, one of them is Electing the Sun, and the other I don't remember. But a lot of people read it. I don't know if you're familiar with those books; no. uh, they're before your time. But uh, <laughs> a lot of us read those books back in the '80s, '90s. I don't remember when they were published, but for me, in the '90s. So that was, and and, and uh, Robert Shank's uh, book on was it Chosen in the Sun. Uh, but it had, was very widely accepted within, uh, you know, conservative Wesleyan circles. Very, and it was just people like, oh, wow, this is a good argument against uh, other ideas of, say, Romans 9 through 11, you know, that sort of election. And, and it was very emphasized, very much emphasized that election is corporate, mm-hmm. that God elects uh, Christ, his son, and through the son, a, a body of people. Well, that that is um, that's a concept that I think is very acceptable in particularly, obviously, in Wesleyan circles. I don't think Shank was Wesleyan either, but uh, we have an understanding of corporate election. What I'm adding to that or suggesting we need to also understand with that is corporate assurance. And. the my mind always so frequently goes forward to the book of Revelation and uh, particularly in the last two chapters, 21, 22, the role that the bride has. Right. So the bride is saved. All right. Who's the bride? It's all of us. You know, our salvation is ultimately corporate. We are saved as a group. Yes, I you know, David Fry, the person, you know, me, the individual, I am saved along with you, Jonathan Arnold and others. Yes, there's, it's individual. So we're not, we're not removing the personal testimony of I have been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. Right. And I have the witness of the spirit, but, but uh, we must not disassociate that from the corporate nature of our election and of the witness of the spirit through the church. What we're, what we're actually saying here is something that I think is really uh, liberating because I, I have somebody in my family, their little girl went to uh, a youth which a children's camp, a, a children's camp basically. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there was like a real dramatic presentation of the gospel. And this little girl goes to the altar and she prays and, um, She's trying to to say everything that they tell her to say, and and then they they all celebrate about how what a wonderful service it was, and how God came and and you know did all these things in the lives of these children. But then this little girl goes home, and she's like, like, I'm really scared. I'm really like anxious. I, I don't know. Like nothing happened. Did I do something wrong? Did I not pray the right thing? How do I know that I'm a Christian? Mm-hmm. And my counsel to the parents were, was. You know, if if you think about salvation strictly in terms of something individual and personal, you're going to say to that child, well, you know, you know, you got to keep praying until you pray through, you know, make sure you you sense the witness of the Holy Spirit. And then that child, you could literally set them on a trajectory for the rest of their life where they're under this incredible bondage because they they know they prayed for salvation, but they didn't have an experience. Whereas my, if you believe what we're talking about, 
If you believe this, this is what the church has always taught. I believe is plain in scripture. If we retrieve this, this is what you say to that little girl. You say, did you, did you confess Jesus as Lord? Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Yes. Did you ask him to forgive you of your sins? Yes. Okay. Then we, as your parents and as the church and your pastor, we're going to, we believe that if you've done this and you're, you show a desire to serve the Lord and you're showing, you're showing evidence of a desire to learn the Bible and do what Jesus wants you to do. We're going to baptize you and we're going to bring you into membership in the church. And we're going to tell you you're saved. And yes. we have the God-given authority to do that because Jesus told us in John 20, 23, whoever sins yeah. you forgive are forgiven. So right. don't think about this in terms of like, you know, I think assurance is the key. I love I love going this, this route. Don't think about this primarily in terms of authority or in terms of like, you know, power dynamics or in terms of uh, whatever. Think about it primarily in terms of community and assurance. We are, we're being the body to one another. And when we do that, we liberate one another from the bondage of a merely individualistic salvation. Right, right. And there are people who who I've encountered who are afraid of the church exercising that sort of what you know scripture calls authority uh, but exercising you know the keys and and the reason is because people who have experienced church authority have have experienced authoritarianism and domination and abuse mm-hmm. and so, the first message in this understanding of the church is that pastors better make sure that they have a good and proper understanding of the church and the role of the church. And that our role as pastor is shepherd. There's, there's gentleness, there's patience, there is guidance, there is comfort, there is feeding and provision there is suffering. There is there is great risk. There is that, that that's what it means. It, it this is not. Uh, l- let me go back to this. Um, uh, Scott McKnight and the other authors uh, slip in my mind, but uh, both of them make this point that uh, pastoral leadership and the way it happens today, particularly in America is a magnet for narcissism Hmm. is a magnet for narcissists who see and take advantage of an opportunity to build their own spiritual business. You know, I'm putting that in quotes and, and to build their own little kingdom and to find meaning by the sycophants who they surround themselves by and who, uh, who are quick to just, put them on this sort of pedestal of authority. That's not the picture of a shepherd. The picture of a shepherd is the one who is first into the valley of the shadow of death, Mm -hmm. right? A picture of a shepherd is one who puts himself between his flock and, and the, you know, the wild beasts who would devour them. You know, the shepherd is going to be the first one to be devoured. That's what it means to be a pastor. And then we have to understand what is the church? What is the flock? It's the flock of God, Paul says. This is the, or Peter said, pastor, the flock of God. Uh, and so it's, it's so important here for pastors to get the church right. If you're a lay person out there, we want you to get it right too. 
but you may get it right if if the pastors aren't getting it right this mm. is disaster Right. Because, like pastors, if you're not if you're if you're a narcissist, if you're a billionaire, don't read John twenty twenty three. All right, just don't read it. Don't read the book of John. All right, yeah. stay stay out of Peter's epistles too while you're at it, uh, because because you're you're going to you're going to come across you know uh, Matthew sixteen, Matthew eighteen, or especially John twenty twenty three, and you're going to be rubbing your hands together, thinking, oh boy, I've been wanting to do this for a long time you know, to the person that you don't like. No, that's not, that's not what this is about. That's why in John 20, 22, Jesus is first of all, breathing his spirit into his disciples. Mm-hmm. These are spirit filled uh, individuals who are now being entrusted to exercise this, this uh, tremendous authority. But that's, a, that's scary because people have experienced authority as abuse. So one of the keys here is that we're talking about corporate affirmation of salvation, corporate offering of yes. assurance, not just this is not something that's exercised only by one pastor or a senior mm-hmm. pastor, but this is something that's exercised by a plurality of elders, which we need to talk about sometime. So mm-hmm. important, yeah. so vital, important. I'm If the Lord wills, love to plant a church here. Um, you know, within the next few years, one thing I really want, even from the get go is I don't want to be the only, the only pastor. I don't want to build a community around me or my personality or my, I need any plurality. I need a team. I want to do this with, with others. And then I want to involve as many mature lay people as I can, you know, as many people, give them a voice, give them a chance to share, give them a chance to ask questions. Because when it comes to something as serious as incorporating somebody into the, into the, the company of the saved, right? Into the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. When it comes to something as, as important as extending to somebody the forgiveness of sin, John 2023, you know, baptizing them, offering them forgiveness in the blood of Christ in the Eucharist. These are things that we, these are the keys. We, we've got to exercise this together uh, because I don't, I don't even want to do it alone, right? That's, it's, it's a, it's a scary thing. I mean, it's, it's a weighty, it's a weighty thing. And so I think, I think this is corporate. This is something we share this responsibility. So when we speak of, when we speak of the church's authority and responsibility to forgive sins or the church's authority and responsibility to incorporate, it's so easy to hear authority or whatever and and not to hear church, right? It's the church, not the pastor's authority and responsibility to forgive sin, the church's responsibility. So it's got to be exercised corporately. That's why, you know, I'm not, I can't say I'm a congregationalist. But I do sympathize with congregationalism yes. and I do appreciate the corporate emphasis because when yes. it comes to something like excommunication in Matthew 18, it is tell it to the church. Right. This is right. not just one person who's power hungry and, and wants to con- and controlling. And uh, we've got to emphasize the corporate, the corporate right. nature of this. Right. So in this article, I asked a, a couple of questions. Uh, you know, the article title is what's the church's role in our salvation? Uh, the, the opening question is, wh- why does the church matter? And I think it would be a good exercise for pastors to ask themselves first, but uh, to talk to their leaders, uh, talk to your board members, talk to your elders uh, individually, and just ask them, say, you know what, I've, I've been trying to think about you know, my ideas and my understanding of, of God's purpose for the church. Why do you think the church matters? And see what kind of answers you get. So I, I try to address that question first, and 
Uh, in doing so, I make several references to uh, how the early church understood uh, scriptures teaching on the church. Uh, let me share this because I think this is uh, you know, a good example of what the early fathers thought. Augustine said, uh, he said, whoever is separated from the church by this single sin of being separated is separated from the unity of Christ. Uh, there is this common idea through through church history stru- rooted in uh, really in John's writings, uh, but Paul as well, that there is no salvation outside the church. Now, what that means is it does not mean that a person cannot come to Christ through the Spirit's work outside the church, but followers of Christ will always be drawn to the body. And so I have I've heard a number of stories through my lifetime of missionaries who have gone into places and they've said, you know, there was one believer in this village and who you know just had had faithfully served God for so many years. There was no church there. Okay, sure. Like that doesn't surprise me. Uh, That fits great within this because guess what? That believer was thrilled when a missionary arrived with the gospel, right? Because they're drawn to other believers. They're drawn to the church. And so what I say in those extraordinary cases is, yes, that those are certainly true cases. And what you find is that in all of those cases, those who are truly spirit filled are longing for the companionship that comes through the church and only through the church. They're not look these are not people looking to separate themselves. These are people looking to join themselves. What what John is talking about in John chapter 1st John 2:19, what Augustine's talking about, what Cyprian uh you know talked about uh in his uh, you know doctrine of outside the church there's no salvation. They're talking about people who were born again in the church and leave the church thinking that their salvation is you know, individualized only and that they can do their own thing and not come under the fullness of Christ, which is the church. Uh, that's, that's what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, you, you quote Cyprian, uh, his famous maxim outside the church, there is no salvation, you know, was not just affirmed by the ancient fathers, by the patristic fathers and medieval fathers, but it was affirmed by the reformers. And uh-huh. That's one of the, the misconceptions that I think is that that the reformers kind of deconstructed this institutionalized religion and brought it back to the individual, right? The individual reading his Bible, the individual having a personal relationship with Jesus. Whereas the, the reformers were, yes, they were they were uh, pushing back against some abuses, but their ecclesiology was like really strong. So here's Augustine mm-hmm. in his sermon to the catechumens. You begin to have him for your father when you have been born by the church as your mother and you mm-hmm. think, Whoa, that's Roman Catholic until you read Calvin mm-hmm. who says in institutes right. book four to those whom he is a father, the church yes. must also be a mother. He says the same yeah. thing, right? You go to Luther and he says outside of the Christian church, there is no truth, no Christ, no salvation. You go to the Westminster confession, which I already mentioned. And again, you have mm-hmm. outside the visible church. So the reformers are saying the same thing that the church yes. fathers said. This is not a Roman Catholic doctrine. This is a Protestant doctrine. And their church is basically reading scripture the same way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So there's, um, 
Yeah. Well, that, yeah. A lot of thoughts here. Um, you know, we could, we could talk about why, uh, why salvation has become so individualized for people. And I, and again, as we talk about the church, I don't want to s- deny the personal nature. It's deeply personal. Sure. Many of the, you know, the ethical commands that are given to the church are to be practiced by persons, right? Person mm-hmm. to person. So it's, that's, that's very real. But our salvation is more than, it's not less than, but it is more than a personal matter. And so I don't want to take anything away from somebody's personal testimony. That's important that we give personal testimony. Sure. But we, that, that testimony takes place within a, a body and we must not ignore that. We've got to get beyond the church being something that is there to serve us to make us comfortable, to feed us so that we can get on with our individual lives and do what we want to uh, while while not having to answer or to submit to any sort of ecclesial authority, right? I mean, that's, right. that's American church life. And it doesn't matter if you're conservative Wesleyan or or liberal, you know, something else. It, it, it's, it's church life in the, in today's uh, Christian world. It just is. And that's, and that's a sad place to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think you make a key point, you know, to answer your question, uh, your first question there in your article on why does the church matter? I think you're right. That's what most people would say. Something like, well, you know, I go to church to hear the words so that I can be fed so that I can be ready to face my week. And so like the church is kind of like you, you go to get your gas tank filled up for the week, but like what the real Christian life, the driving, right? That's that's the rest of the week. Whereas in scripture, it, it's much more like you enter into this new community and like your whole life is like absorbed into this, this community, this you enter the ark, right? You live life in the ark. And so you see like there in Acts two, I love that picture of the church where like they sell everything and have all things in common. They, you know, they, they provide for the needs of the poor. So when you talk about like the church being sal- being playing a role in our salvation, you can almost go further and say the church is salvation because what God saves you unto is a life in community and what he saves you from is a life in isolation. So, you know, mm-hmm. when we talk about like, say something like uh, justification is salvation. We meet, we meet, we can say that because justice justification saves us from legal guilt. We can say adoption is salvation because adoption saves us from uh, enmity with God, being enemies with God. Like it brings us into a right relationship, filial relationship with God. Mm-hmm. We can say holiness or sanctification is salvation because holiness, sanctification brings us, saves us from the defilement of sin. We can also say the church is salvation because the mm-hmm. church, that life in community, that entering into the covenant people of God, not just stopping off there to get something to live the real Christian life, but actually entering into this community saves us from a life that's individual, individual, isolated, um, and 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 broken and fractured, which was the result of the fall. That, that's yeah. not God's will for us. Right. So the church ultimately is salvation. Yeah, right. And so, so it's always sin that isolates. 
right? The Holy Spirit doesn't lead people into isolation. Now, the Holy Spirit may lead us to solitude and to quiet, all right? That's that's different. That's not isolation. Right. That is, that is you know, that is for our health and for the health of our own relationships. But sin is what leads to separation and to schism and to uh, the, 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 that kind of loneliness that people experience. You're right. You know, God, God came to save us from that. It's not good for man to be alone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so the, the, in describing, uh, what the church's role in our salvation is, uh, in this article, I, I choose three, three metaphors. Uh, the first one is the bride that we, our salvation is corp, uh, corporate. Uh, we kind of touched on that already. Uh, the second, though, is goes along with uh, what I've heard you say before. I think uh, you mentioned. I think Ben Myers is the one who said that the church is salvation. Was it was it Ben who said that? Yeah, he says something along that lines. Let me pull you. Go ahead. Let me pull yeah. that book off the okay. shelf here. Right? I think I've heard you say <laughs> that before, so we'll credit that to Ben Myers. Anyway, uh, the church church is our salvation, and I, and I like that. That resonates because again, the uh, uh, Peter first, and then the early church they they liken the church to the ark uh to noah's ark the ark is is as ben meyer said the, the ark is salvation the church is salvation and it's, this is not to say that the church saves us we're saved through uh, by faith in jesus christ through his grace right so jesus christ is our savior but the church is the vessel that is given to us as a gift from Christ, just as the ark was given to Noah as a gift from God himself, who gave the instructions to Noah to how to construct the ark. Uh, and, and it was his salvation and his family's salvation. And so it is with the church. And so this is, uh, this is true of, of uh, the, you know, the new Testament mentions this, uh, the early church uses the imagery of the church as the ark of salvation. And, and I've actually, I have heard preaching uh, in my lifetime, uh, revival preaching, camp meeting preaching, that, that has touched on that as well. And now I look back and I think, I don't know if they understood how profound that was uh, when, when an evangelist you know, said that. It's a very profound thing. And, and then the third point, I'll just throw it out here, is uh, the church is our guardian. Uh, that is uh, the uh, you know the pillar foundation of the truth the uh, the the guardian of what has been received uh, we are you know the apostolic church and that we've received from the apostles the gospel that was entrusted to them and we pass it down so the church is the guardian so throw those out there and uh, I think you were looking up the Ben Myers. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I'd love to just have this included in this podcast. I think this is this is excellent. In his comments on the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, um, he talks about how salvation, the gospel, is a, is addressing like the fracturing of humanity. And I don't think he includes it in the book, but I've listened to his lectures or his sermons on the creed, and he talks about how there's a patristic image of Adam. That when before the fall, 
Adam represents like the whole human race. So it's as if the whole human race is contained in the one man, Adam. And when the fall happens, it's as though Adam gets thrown to the ground and fractures into a thousand pieces that scatter into isolation and separation. And in Christ, the new man, all the scattered members of humanity are reunited into one man, one body, which is Christ. And this is the new community that Christ came to found. So he says the message of the gospel is directed not primarily to individuals, but to this new community. God's plan of salvation all along has been to create one human society as the bearer of the divine image. In that sense, the church isn't just the way people respond to salvation. The church is salvation. Hmm. The church is what God has been doing in the world from the beginning. It is a representative microcosm of what God intends for the whole human family. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. 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 So, so often we disconnect ecclesiology, this, the doctrine of the church, from our Christology and pneumatology, our, our understanding of Christ and the spirit. Because what we, what we think is we have, you know, the father sends the son for our redemption the spirit, the, the son is crucified, dead, buried, rises again, ascends, sends the spirit. And like, that's all the essential part of salvation. Incidentally, then the church comes about, right? No, 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 no. The church is what happens when God sends the son and when God, the father sends God, the son, and from them proceed the Holy Spirit. Yeah. What happens in that natural sequence is the church. It's not an add-on. It is, it is part and parcel with what God is doing and intended to do from the very beginning. So it's the church is not incidental. Mm-hmm. Now, our challenge today, and I begin the article with this, our big challenge today is that the picture of the church, the reality of the church world today is not that mm. we have, I think in our little County of, you know, 35, 40,000 people, I think we have 72 churches, church congregations, right? Yeah. Right. Buildings and so on. It's hard to have a robust ecclesiology when you live in the kind of world that we live in. It's hard because there are, there are differences. Um, and I remind people often uh, among the, you know, Bible believing, you know, Christ worshiping churches, and uh, not all of them are, but you know, most of them are uh, among those, we have more in common than we have different. Yeah. And so, you know, there's, there's, uh, and yet the picture, what people see believers and unbelievers, what they see is a very fractured uh, entity yeah. That they there there's no concept hardly of there being one church unless it's only spiritual. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I highly recommend the. Uh, there's a discussion. Maybe I can find it and link it in our show notes between Peter Lightheart and Kevin Van Hooser on this discussion. And I think uh, Lightheart goes further, quite a bit further than um, than Van Hooser does on on. Um, in an ecumenical direction, but, uh, in, in, an institutional and a visible unity. 
Um, but the discussion is so edifying and, and it's true. You know, what do we do to promote more, um, more cooperation, more sense of community and unity? Um, and I, you know, I just heard somebody say, this might be going down a rabbit trail, but I just heard somebody preaching the other day and they're like, there are hardly any cities in America with holiness churches. And those cities are, are burning and going to hell. And I'm like, okay, Mm. were those two comments supposed to be taken together? Like they're, Mm. they're, they're going to hell because there's not a holiness church there. So the, the light isn't there. Like, cause there's a lot of cities and a lot of churches on every street corner that preach the gospel. Right. right? So I think it starts in our own church. We've got to create a Catholic culture. Like before I pray for, maybe some people would disagree this, but before I pray for other churches in our denomination, I pray for other churches in our community. So I pray for, you know, I pray for the the Bible Bible Believers Church and the, and the Baptist Church. Pray for these churches, create a sense of like we are we're one with with those who preach the gospel. And you know, pray for something like that they would hold fast to the true gospel, that they sure. would preach the word. You know, we're not saying that necessarily, you know, every church that calls themselves a church in our community is a true church, right? Mm-hmm. That the kind of mushy ecumenicalism. But I think we mm-hmm. do need to really think about how um and here's here's the here's the way that I think this fits with our discussion. If we are going to reclaim a sense of the church's role in our salvation and salvation as something corporate, I think we're also going to have to work harder to emphasize the importance of a visible unity with other believers sure. in, our, in our community. I think that's the key. And so it starts with us in our own congregation preaching, teaching the Apostles' Creed. We're a Catholic church, having a Catholic spirit. And then, then from there, trying to work at at creating healthy ecumenical dialogue and cooperation yeah. and partnership yeah. with other churches in our community. Right. right. Now, I think the biggest fear that I've encountered, or and let me just say this, the biggest reason why, why pastors and leaders are scared of that sort of ecumenicalism is because they are afraid that our young people will learn or believe that people who think differently differently than we do are true believers. Now, I really think in some cases, some people think really it's, it's totally a matter of they will think that they are true believers and we know they're not. All right. So I think there's some of that, you know, so it wouldn't surprise me. I don't know who it was, but it wouldn't surprise me if someone would say, "There's no holiness church in this city of two million. They're all going to hell." Never mind, there are a thousand churches in the you know the city, right? So that wouldn't surprise me. But that, but I think there are others that that's not like they know that's not true. Like they know that's wrong. And, you know, our fear is not that they would think that someone who thinks differently about us about tertiary issues, you know, are are not Christians or, or that they are Christians. That's not their fear. I think their fear is that they will just lose them from from our local church for, quote, an easier way, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of fear of that. And I want to say, first of all, um, you know, if they are truly passionate after Christ, if they are true followers of Christ and they are eager to learn what it means to love and serve Jesus— they're going to realize pretty quickly that there are a lot of other people in the world that love and that love Jesus with all their heart. Right. Mm -hmm. And are passionate about serving him who don't think exactly like we do. So number one, you're not going to keep that from happening. Right. And so I think it actually is counterproductive. I think we ought to go ahead and teach our young people that, Hey, there are Christian, there are wonderful, godly, holy, 
you know, Christ-following, Bible-loving preacher, uh, 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 Christians out there who who think differently than we do, and we yeah. thank God for them. And there there are brothers, there are sisters. In fact, we want to serve beside them in some capacity. Yeah. And here are the reasons why we're two different churches. You know, maybe they're Presbyterian, you're a Reformed church, and we are, you know, Wesleyan Arminian Holiness Church. Yeah, you know, there's some important differences, but you know, these are these are on secondary issues. We agree on the primary things, and I, I think I think we'd be better off to go ahead and let young people know, hey, there are believers. The church is bigger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the church is yes. bigger than ours. Uh, we and and it's. Yeah, let, let's not hide behind this this false pretense of, you know, we don't care what church you belong to. Yeah, we do care what church you belong to. Uh, <laughs> let's not lie to ourselves. We do. Yeah. Um, but we but we but there is a sense in which we I, I think we should just be up front and say, you know what? There are other believers uh, who are true and are godly. They think differently than what we do instead of building up these false notions of, you know, we're, we're the only ones. I think the reason that the discussion naturally leads us here to talking about a more expansive view of the visible church um, is because we tend to only think about other churches in in terms of more or less pure and other churches being less pure than us. But that was the second way in which the Protestant reformers assessed churches. Before they talked about more or less pure churches, they talked about true or false churches. And so if we, if we understand that a person's salvation um, is, is largely dependent on or wrapped up in their participation in, in a local visible body, then we're going to have to be thinking about other churches, first and foremost, as true or false churches. And the true church exists wherever the gospel is embodied in word and sacrament. Um, and so, yes, we, have to, we don't have to lose our distinctiveness. You know, as you said, we don't have to lose our identity. We can be who we are, uh, but we need to be very, very careful about undermining other churches in such a way that, um, so focuses on their what we what we perceive as a lack of purity uh, that might imply, in fact, they're not even a true church. Yeah, and that doesn't have to compromise or water down who we are, right? You know what what our church, you know, my, our local church right here where I pastor, what we believe, what we teach. You know, we're we're firm in what we believe, and some of the things that we understand in regard to you know the particulars of salvation. Uh, you know, the, we, I just had a conversation the other day, typical conversation between the sovereignty of the God and the responsibility of man and, and how different traditions understand that differently. Well, yeah. So we have some differences and those, those are important differences, but they are secondary. Uh, but it, they do in part define who we are as a local church and that's important. Uh, yeah. so as we, as we think about the church's role in our salvation, then, uh, let me, let me go ahead and answer this for those who haven't read the article while also pointing you to read the article. I don't know if it's posted online yet, but it will be uh, at BibleMethods.org. And then uh, we'll publish it later on Holy Joys as well. Uh, but uh, so first of all, what is the role, uh, church's role in my salvation? As the bride of Christ, the role of the church is that it is the church that is saved. I'm talking about ultimate glorification, uh, uh, ultimate salvation. When Christ finally saves us, it is in the church. 
Christ comes and takes his bride. He, he, we as a, as a people are wedded to Christ. So it's the corporate nature of the church. So the church's role is that it is the church that is saved. Uh, that's, that's number one. The uh, church uh, is salvation, as we talk. Uh, that is, is the ark of salvation. Uh, it is, as I said, I think early in this podcast, uh, the vessel uh, which God has given to us, uh, just as God gave the instructions to Noah to build the ark. Uh, so uh, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, uh, they build the church, and it is God's chosen vessel for uh, for our salvation. And with that, there's then that corporate assurance. Uh, we have our assurance is not only individual, but it is also uh, corporate. And, and I think we both agree there needs to be more emphasis on that. That needs to be added to our whole conversation of the assurance of salvation. And then, uh, you know, what else is the role of the church? Uh, the role of the church is our guardian. Now, that's a big one. We have a series on restoration uh, that people should listen to, and we've done some writing on that. Uh, so that's all part of this uh, restoration, holding uh, people accountable. Uh, when they have fallen into sin and making sure they're restored. Uh, there is, you know, the whole exercise of the keys. We talked about a forthcoming article uh, that we're uh, jointly writing on John 2023. 20, All of that is very, very important. So this is more than what we can talk about now, but the church is the guardian. It, the church is my guardian. It's our guardian. Uh, and in several senses, one of those is that our faith and my faith, our faith is a corporate faith. I believe the gospel that I have received. And those, you know, my children, for instance, they believe what others have believed and have passed on. So my faith is not in my own little gospel. It is in the gospel that has been passed down. So in that sense, the church, the church's role is essential. It must pass on the truth, which has been given to us um, by the Holy Spirit in God's word. Uh, it is the guardian in that it holds us accountable. Uh, it, it holds us and it restores us. The church has that role to, to hold us accountable and to restore us when restoration is needed. So, uh, the, again, those are just a few uh, highlights of how I would answer the question, what is the role of the church, uh, of the church in my salvation uh, those are some of the particular roles. Yeah. I think if I, you know, would add like one more um, major metaphor it would be like the church yeah. is our mother. And we already mentioned that with Cyprian, Augustine, Calvin. Sure. Um, you see that through the tradition, like God, our father, the church, mm -hmm. our mother. So, you know, if my little boy rejects his mommy, he rejects me too, which mm -hmm. would be a tragedy. Uh, yeah. So you can't reject your mother without rejecting your father. Um, mm -hmm. if my little boy, uh, stops responding to his mother, especially when he was a baby, um, he's going to die because mm -hmm. his mom's giving, providing him with food, like mm -hmm. his life giving source. The mother is like this life giving source. We see that with a nursing infant. And there's a sense in which, a uh, a spiritual child never leaves the breast of his mother, 
we're always drawing life from the church, which is this life-giving source. So the, the mother is nourishing us constantly. And if we reject that source of nourishment, we're going to, to, to wither and, and ultimately die. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And that, that whole metaphor can be tracked through the New Testament, through all of the, um, the, the spiritual sustenance that comes through one another, through the church, right? The, the comfort and the prayer and the, and it, yes, the accountability, the, the feeding of one another, the, the healing of one another. I mean, all of those fit into this metaphor of we go to the, the church for, for our health. You know, God through the church is, you know, he, he's extending his hands through the church. And that has been understood as a motherly ministry that the church has. Thank you for listening to the Holy Joys podcast. Email your questions to podcast at holyjoys.org and they may be featured on a future episode. Our labors for a holy, happy church are supported by generous listeners like you. Please pray about partnering with us at holyjoys.org forward slash donate.